Hey, I'm Becca Slider, your host, and this is The Courage to Fully Live. This podcast is a rebellion against old programming, conforming, and unsupportive beliefs that keep us small and living inauthentic lives. If you're on a journey of finding your true self or building the courage up to fully express it, you're in the right place. We're going to get raw and unfiltered with a diverse group of guests who share their stories of rediscovering who they are, reclaiming their lives, and redefining how it all gets to go. Come join me. All right. I am here with a new friend of mine, Colette, who grew up a farm girl. I'd love to know how many of our listeners are grew up a farm girl because I feel like it's dwindling by the year, right? And then moved to the big city, found success in corporate, but still felt super unfulfilled. So she founded Brawtopia, filling the gap in the lingerie industry in which she used her brand to promote self-love and self-acceptance. And her newest endeavor is French Postcard. I don't know why I felt like I needed to say it that way. Uh, A sister brand, which empowers women in their sexual power and sexuality. She has three children, two dogs, and no lack of interesting stories regarding her love life. I feel like we should start there, Colette. I mean, I don't know. It's It's like a cliffhanger end of your bio. No lack of interesting stories regarding your love life. So tell me, how has that, how has that changed you? What has happened that has been, I mean, give us the interesting shit too, but like all of the things, all of the things. Of course. Well, first of all, I think I want to say French postcard like that from now on. <laughs> Ooh, French postcard. Oh, <laughs> like I mean. Diving into the dirt, of course. No, I think that's interesting. I think a lot of the path of my life either uncovered interesting things or brought me to interesting places because of my love life. Wow. And I think my first intro to self-discovery was after a really bad breakup in my early 20s. And I started to notice a pattern, which I remember at the time interpreting it as, why do assholes pick me? Mm. (laughs) And I will never forget the sobering moment in my therapist's office where she's like, maybe we can switch that around and maybe you have a part in it. And so, yeah, it had to become, why do I pick assholes? And Mm. this kind of became the essence of my being and discovering who I am and what's in me and why I was making these decisions. So that would have been in my very early 20s, which seemed like a faint memory now, but definitely there. And then I think I spent the rest of my 20s after the pursuit of marriage because Mm. I got the checklist to... What's going to make us happy? What do we do to achieve happiness? And I started working down the list. Wow. Yeah, it became my mission. Wow. I, what you just said was so profound because I think that a lot of us don't realize there is this imaginary list. There is this imaginary checkbox and a lot of it is cultural or societal or even like in our upbringing of things that we don't even realize we're being kind of programmed and conditioned to believe. Here is the list and these are the things you do in order to have either a successful life or a happy life. And so like most of us, you're kind of just like, what's next on the checklist of of making me happy? What is externally out there that's going to help my life be better? And what did you find? And, the, and I think the deeper stuff, and this is probably in my most recent journey, mm. which then will declare that I am worthy. And so that was like the beginning of all of it. 
Mm, yeah, that is such a deep connection because I think all of us are at some point asking ourselves the question, whether cognizantly or not, am I enough? which is tied to our worth and our value. And we are then sitting here, all of us can relate to that. We're sitting here like, well, if I have this, then that dictates like my life is good and I'm enough and I'm worthy. Or if this happens to me, or if I see these things line up, or it's all like the external telling us again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's huge. So you've had quite the journey of starting from all the way back there and your twenties of like, shit, what, what about me being the one who kind of attracts them and chooses them. And then moving is now it's like, wow, what, what am I letting dictate my worth? So what was, what would you say is some of the hardest pain points for you along the way? I think the hardest pain points that again, you brought it up is about, you know, the pain of staying where you are needs to be greater than the pain of change. And uh, a great teacher of mine, there's an Anais Nin poem where she realized staying a bud was more painful than blooming were definitely when I would hit these things and things that I thought were these huge manifesting dreams that maybe I would achieve or maybe not I just remember I would just kind of start checking the list and then there was this internal moment sometimes not right in the moment of shouldn't this feel better Mm. shouldn't like shouldn't this bring me more joy, more elation, more satisfaction, more wholeness? And then, which I found is a pattern of mine too, then just talking myself into it. No, I think this, this must be what marriage is like. This must be what having children is like. This is what building your dream house is like, or getting the car of your dreams is like, this is it. This is, Mm. yeah, no, this is, this is great. But mm. no, part of me somatically or from a heart space felt that. Wow. It's almost like you were gaslighting yourself into believing like, no, this is, this is what you should expect and, you know, settle for, or be content with, or be okay with. And, and to not be like, you're, this is it. This is what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. And then comparison. Well, that person looks so happy with this. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not happy, but that means there's there's something not right in me that I don't find these things amazing or happy. Mm, and yeah. then nobody talks about this, especially not when you're in that list achieving dream era. And it's not till much later, now that I'm in my 40s, that people open up and share like we're doing today yeah. about what that looks like for each of us. Yeah. Wow. No. And it's sad too, because I think about how much, how much could have been saved for ourselves had taken the time to open up and just be raw and honest. Or if we had people ahead of us who did that for us when we were 10 years younger, 20 years younger. And also then there's beauty in our own journey though, too, because we have the ability to relate to people who are going through it. And we have a part of that, a piece of that, that we experience, the pain of it, that we experience that we wouldn't be able to relate to them otherwise. So there is something that's really magical about that, about being vulnerable and about knowing that other people are resonating with that same message and that same yes. shape of pain. And, and my deepest takeaways now, or I see now I have a huge level of life satisfaction mm. and find huge joy in life, but I don't think I would be here without the experiences or lessons that I received along the way. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that I think that most people would probably share the same sentiment too. It really is transformational when you allow it to be transformational, right? When you allow you're you're not going to just use this this pain as an area of oh I'm I'm a victim to my circumstance I'm a victim to life life is just hard but you're able to alchemize it and be like no 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 I'm going to transform this into something for my benefit I don't know what it looks like and I don't know how but I'm going to decide that it is possible and I'm choosing it I'm choosing it so yes. you that's a huge a huge transition over the course of many years though, to go from feeling like here I am, I, I don't really have a, a, a deep level of self-worth or acceptance or love for myself. I'm even choosing toxicity in my relationships because I feel like that's kind of what I deserve, right? Like I'm down here and feeling like that's what I can manifest to now you have such a deep self-acceptance, self-love, not only that, but, and this is a whole nother thing we can hit on your, your literally your life is impacting other women for that same purpose, for that same goal. So they can be free in so many different ways, but how, how did you get there? What was some of the, the mindset shifts that you had to make where you're like, okay, I see I'm doing this and now I'm going to choose this. What was that like for you? That's a great question. I think some of the deepest ones, which take the most work, and this is an ongoing practice are self-acceptance. I am who I am this is what I am, mm -hmm. no matter what, who I'm with as a partner, no matter what I own, achieve, what designations I get behind my name. Yeah. And when you get there with yourself, you filter other people this way. Yeah. And so that would have been a huge one. And I think, I don't think I can enumerate them, but as equally important was realizing that none of my worth was tied to whether or not I was in a romantic relationship. Mm. I huge. love romantic relationships and will definitely, I would love to be in a deeply connected, positive romantic relationship. Yeah. But if I'm not, then life is just as amazing. So it's about having someone that adds to it and not yeah. tying my worth to it. Yes, which is huge. And when that shift occurs, it, it literally changes everything. It changes everything. It changes the way you wake up in the morning. It changes the way you perceive everything. And it doesn't, I feel like the lie though, too, is to think, oh, once we get to that place, we won't ever have these thoughts that are, oh, well, I really want that. Oh, I really, that would be nice to have. No, the thoughts still come. We're just above it, right? You feel like you're above it. It's like, okay. Yes, that would be nice. And also I'm enough without it. So it's not denying yourself the fact that you have the desire as much as just simply saying like, it's also fine that I don't like it's a both and it's okay. Of course. And that's where I've got to, it's not that I reject it. Yeah. Because I truly believe that the two ways that we feel fully alive and whole are the work we do inside mm -hmm. out. Yeah. But there's also a healing and a wholeness to being loved outside in. Mm -hmm. that comes and yeah. it's it's matching those two yeah. and most of us and I'm sure you can relate and your mm -hmm. listeners can relate most of us were definitely not raised witnessing that mm -mm. nor is that demonstrated anywhere in society no. and it's funny because with all the work I've done I've done a, I've been through a ton of relationship programs and relationship courses and I got one of the most I think it was like a bit of a shocking comment recently so the person said to me, oh, so clearly that stuff doesn't work. 
because I wasn't still in the relationships that I had attended these programs with. And what shocked me about it was I thought, no, I think it works perfectly because it was through those programs that I was able to look at the partner across from me at the time and realize this is your capacity. You are truly giving me Hmm. what you're capable of giving and being in a relationship. And it was that moment in those moments that I could either stay and realize that this is what they could be. Or it gave me inner peace and closure to realize that's not enough. And I don't want to be. And so I did find it quite surprising when I heard that because I thought I got the lessons. I'm the one that walked away with the PhD in the graduation cap because now I can live in an area of awareness that when I meet someone or I'm Mm -hmm. in relationship with someone, I can filter it completely differently than when I was Mm -hmm. operating at a subconscious level. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So (laughs) one of the things you said is something that I have thought of in the past several months a lot, which is this idea of repositioning people in your mind. So you talked about capacity, like so many people, friendships, it doesn't matter what type of relationship they're coming with their own capacity. They're coming with their own level of growth, whatever that looks like. And so many of us want to fall in love with, or really look to the potential of what they could be. And we hold on to this and we give them access and we show up in a certain way, our capacity, which is, you know, wherever it's at, and they're only showing up at this lower capacity, right? Because it's all they have. And yet we end up frustrated, upset, disappointed, like what the hell, really feeling at odds and continuing to be like, well, I'm doing all this stuff. Like, why isn't this person showing up at the same capacity? They can't. They literally can't. So it's what what was really important about what you said, though, was realizing that that's just what it was and not making it mean anything about you. You didn't make it mean anything about you and your ability to be whole and attract the right type of people. It was just like, okay, what I've done is I've put them in a position they shouldn't have been in, in my mind. And I need to reposition them. It doesn't even mean you have to eradicate those types of friendships or relationships. It's just about, okay, this is where they're at. I can either take it or leave it, but I'm not going to sit here with anticipation of them becoming something they're not showing me they are. And also it doesn't mean anything about me. It's not personal. It's not personal. And that part though, which I will fully admit the not taking it personally, that was the biggest growth part Mm -hmm. because in my divorce, which now was gosh, 12 years ago, we separated that wasn't there. That was, oh, I failed. It wasn't till death do us part. I felt mm-hmm. huge shame. I was also pregnant with my third child at the time. So I didn't want anyone to know that we were separating. And mm-hmm. if only we could live life in 2020 hindsight, I have zero regrets. Yeah. Because I've seen through 12 years of interactions with that person, what my life would have been. And it's, yeah. it's no different than what I thought I was separating from at that time. Wow. And so this is where eventually filtering through not carrying shame or self-blame or all of that but also owning my part in it. And this is the part I find people have the most challenge with Mm. is in any interaction, romantic or otherwise, there's two people, there's two parts and taking ownership for where I contributed to it. Yeah. And 
this is absolutely one of my favorite dating questions in this day and age is when I meet someone and most of us in this category are either separated or divorced or had a long-term common law partner something. Yeah. So when I ask someone, what do you feel your part was in the end of your last relationship? And if they can't answer it or Mm -hmm. it goes straight to blaming the other person, Mm -hmm. know right out the gate now, the capacity you're getting and Mm -hmm. whether or not they're going to be able to hold space for that in your current relationship, should you enter one? Yeah, that's a brilliant question. I love that question. And I think it's, it's, Absolutely true. I've asked several people that question and even someone recently and their answer was basically like, well, I should have seen that. um, I should have seen the red flags earlier that they had like a victim mindset, which that's not necessarily bad, but it's also not owning like things that you showed up. I don't know. It was really, it was kind of like a subtle ownership, but not like a full. So like you're still seeing Yeah. And again, once again, that's not even a judgment call on that person. It's just about the idea of capacity and where they're at and their level of growth and understanding. Oh, for sure. And then I've had some people that can answer it so thoroughly and with so much self-awareness that by the time they're done answering, you're like, wow, I am turned on right now because this person has clearly done (laughs) some Let's go. Hey, hey, do you want, hey, do you want to be done with dinner? Let's go. Right? (laughs) Okay. Cause I'm ready. <laughs> They're like, what? Yeah. 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 That's all it took, honey. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Self-awareness. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I don't, I think that's very underrated and I think, oh, but you can't fake it. That's the problem too. Is so like, as I say, it's underrated and people can be like, oh, that's what I need to do to, to get somebody like, you can't fake it though. It, people can see right through it. If they're self-aware, they're going to see right through it. If you're trying to fake it. So it's yeah, so true. Yeah. So I have a, I have a question for you in regards to, you talked about the idea of self-acceptance and learning that for yourself. And so what I want to know is what are some of the things about yourself? This could be physical. This could be quirky, like weird, goofy things. This Mm -hmm. could be like maybe even things that seem painful or seem like you used to reject them about yourself. Anything that you used to suppress, reject, abandon, whatever it was that you learned to accept about yourself. Like what are anything you can think of? It doesn't even matter if it's super tiny or super quirky. I would love to hear that. Sure. God, that's a really good question. Okay. I think one that I know I used to be really tied up in, and this was, this is more probably a disease in corporate was how many designations can I get behind my name? How much education could I get? How many courses, certificates, diplomas, degrees, so that I would then feel worthy? Yeah, That was a big one. Huge previous issues with body mm-hmm. size, dress size, number on the scale, yeah. how external appearances were. That would have been a huge one as well. Yeah, And what I probably some of just like, would I find interesting to do? So I think maybe without being able to define it, like like parking FOMO and leaning towards JOMO, like Mm. parking fear of missing out and going to joy of missing out. Do I really want to go to that event tonight? I'm extroverted. I love people. I love going to events, but within means. And so there's Mm. times I'm just like, no, I'm good. Yep. And so that was a big one. And then I have a lot of energy and a strong personality. And I know I'm not for everyone. Uh So a joke I love to make is I'm more like whiskey than rosé. 
And so not everyone likes a cup of whiskey. And then probably, oh gosh, I think the one, and I still get a lot of questions about it, is my marital status or relationship status. I get a ton of questions about and so because I'm very passionate about relationship and sexuality and so I speak to it so of course the next question people are always like oh what's what's happening in your life right now and they're always trying to figure it out or define it those are probably some of the biggest ones wow those are all really great I think I think very relatable too especially the idea of the stuff that has to always do with people's opinions it's like how do I accept this about me when there's such a fear of how I am being perceived by other people. One of mine was always being misunderstood, like my, my intentions or what I said, or what I'm doing, like they're, they're misunderstanding it to an, they're thinking it's this, but, and I'm trying to like manage people's perceptions because I know my heart, I know my intention. And I just feel like they're going to take it. And it was like, Oh, fuck this. I got, I just want to vomit. Like, I can't live this way. It's making me sick. People are going to fucking think what they want to think. They're always going to think what they want to think. They love having opinions. Let them have them. Yeah. Oh yeah. God, yes. I've had some of this even recently. And uh. and even how it was delivered through unbridled self-expression. And my only thoughts in the interactions, because both of them were with men, was if you're speaking to me this way right now, I can't even imagine how you speak to your wife in conflict and they're both married. So mm-hmm. it was just this moment where I held space. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I was in a position that I thought holding space would make it end quicker mm-hmm. and then not carrying it and realizing this is about them. Yep. Yep. The more we can not carry stuff that doesn't belong to us, the better off we are. The lighter we are, the happier we are. Oh my gosh. I don't know if, if you can even remember, like if this started when you were young, but I know for me, it's when I was young, it was just modeled to feel responsible for other people's feelings and energy and like making sure they're okay. Like a caretaker personality. It's just. Oh yes. I was raised, God bless her by a level 10 people pleaser. And she still is. And so that anything was about making other people happy, making others feel good, making everyone else around us happy and realizing like, I don't feel good about this. I don't want to spend time with that person. And then becoming my own. Yeah. 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 You don't get to the end of your life and, and, and think like, wow, I'm so glad I spent the entirety of my life making sure everyone else was happy. No <laughs> this is, person is on their deathbed saying that. And this is a fact because if you've heard of the book, top five regrets of the dying, mm-hmm. very passionate about that regret number one. And this mm-hmm. is what I live by. I wish I would have lived a life that was true to me and not what others expected of me. And I don't think there's a human on earth that can't apply that to some part of their life. Absolutely. That's, that was literally my uh, driver for the theme of this podcast, because it's like, okay, finding yourself is an act of love. Expressing it is an act of rebellion. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is where it hits home because you literally have to rebel against all of the conditioned shit that tells you, no, oh, but you need to do this because it pleases them and it serves them. And it, there's so much religious conditioning. There's so many things, but it all drives to this idea of making sure you're not stepping on toes or to some degree. And not everybody is the same level of it, but it literally steals your life away. It steals your life away. And maybe it's not even people pleasing in the form of you're doing everything for everybody. Maybe it comes in living for the expectations you have in your head since you were young about what success looks like. 
being married forever or being in corporate and rising up the ladder, whatever the ideas are, it was somebody else's expectations and thoughts and beliefs that infiltrated your mind and you decided to subscribe to them and you're getting to the end of your life and you're like, what the fuck? Right. Because then I'll be happy. Right. We buy then into I it. Then I feel good. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> I didn't. Right. And then, so, yes. Then you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. So I am curious because you have the brick and mortar, you have two different sister brands, which is amazing. And one was more one. You, the first one you started was more around lingerie. Right. And then yes. you, you moved to the secondary one, which is more into sexuality, sex toys, all of that. What, yes. if anything, did you have to overcome when kind of evolving this to, it's almost like a deeper level of exposing yourself to lingerie. It's like, that's fine. That's sweet. That's acceptable. But then there's this new level. No, I want to talk about like the deep shit in sexuality, sex toys, all the things, sexual liberation, sexuality there. I would think that there would be some, some stuff to kind of move through to overcome going to that next level with it. Did you experience that? Or was it kind of, you were already oh, yes. like, no, okay. no. You know, I was raised in a strict Catholic household mm. and sex was biological and a sin. So mm. I'm summing it up, but yeah, yeah. Um, I was a bit more open-minded than that. However, I, it's still what I was in Catholic school and we followed the church. So when I finally started getting very curious on my own, it was very hard to find information that was educational and not pornography. And I, I'm not against pornography. Right. There's just varying levels of values in pornography that Absolutely. I have problems with. So the Bratopia store was born out of my search for a sports bra, which I don't think it's any more Puritan than that. As I was trying <laughs> to get my pre-baby body back after our, uh, having my son. And <clears throat> eventually through a weird meeting, we started bringing in sex toys to Bratopia in a very small amount. We had maybe like five types, one shelf. And when I saw the interactions with the customers or who was buying them, or they were telling us this was going to be their first sex toy, we realized we were selling women sometimes in their 50s or 60s, their very first intimacy device. And one of my only thoughts was, did you depend on men for sexual experimentation up until now? Which also kind of brought sadness to me because yes. I can't also say that most men know what they're doing. So I was amazed, but then not in judgment, just out of curiosity that, okay, had I not had the curiosity levels that I had, where would I have gotten this information? And I'm not saying that I got it from all mainstream places, but then I realized, wow, if this type of information is at all frightening to your anxiety driven then you're really screwed as a woman. So we broke it off to a side sister brand. Also, because if you mention sex too much on a website, you get put into Google help and you get coded pornography. So there was also internet challenges we were up against, but this was what I was truly passionate about. And what I started realizing, regardless of I don't know most of these women's situations. We wouldn't end up in these, this level of discussion. But what I saw from the change room, whether you're even just fitting a woman for a beige bra to these discussions, women are so disconnected from the neck down. Mm-hmm. They don't want to look at their bodies. They don't accept their bodies. They don't love their bodies. So by the time they're getting into their own sexuality, it's so not a part of who they are. 
And mm -hmm. I truly believe from the bottom of my heart that you cannot reach your full potential if you are rejecting any part of who or what you are. And to me, this just ties to the absolute depths of authenticity. Yeah. No matter what falls in these categories, your sexuality might be on the extreme end, but mm -hmm. your passions, your true desires, what you want to do or be in life is in there along the way. So yeah. they're all tied together at some level. Yeah. That, what you just said was, mm, it was so profound and so true. It, rejection of any part of you, of any part of ideals you think aren't right or, or because of society or parts of your body or part of the way you're wired. We are sexual beings. We, being a human means to be a sexual being, right? It doesn't mean it has to drive your life and everything you do, but rejecting that part of you, making that part of you bad, which a lot of us, especially if you were raised in like you were, and I was in the church or in some type of very conservative environment, even just generally, rationally speaking, I feel like there is a lot of misunderstanding and, and really damaging ideas and I, and just really philosophies around sex. So mm -hmm. you grow up and it's bad. It's wrong. It's just for this. It's just for that. You don't do it until you're married. Don't do it outside of marriage. Like, oh, God will bless it only if you're married, but then it looks like shit. If you're married. like so many things that were like backwards and fucked up. And then it's just so taboo. And then, like you said, disconnection. It's like, but then also I feel like I'm supposed to look this way or be this way, or I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be this certain like sensual woman. If I'm like, oh, but then maybe that's bad. Like there's so it's like a mind fuckery for so it's many women. And then what I see from the macro perspective is whether you got it in huge amounts of messaging, yeah. especially in strict religious upbringing, or you got it in micro messaging all along the way of society, judgments, she's a slut, this, that, yeah. and the other, or your experiences with it were so dismal and disappointing. And mm -hmm. one of my favorite comparisons are if you think pasta is Chef Boyardee compared to what you can experience in Italy, yeah. nobody sits back after a hard day and says, you know what I could use tonight? Some Chef Boyardee. Yeah. So this is the stuff that's contributing even to huge problems in society. So if friends that are open with me, or acquaintances that I meet, because I love to, to have deep discussions with people, mm -hmm. the number of sexless marriages that are out there nowadays, it's shocking to me. And even a good girlfriend of mine, her relationship ended and we started talking and she's like, oh yeah, we haven't had sex forever. Now my forever and her forever were much different definitions once we delved into details. And I'm like, well, what do you mean forever? Oh, long. And she's staying very political. Well, it was a long time. Like, I can't remember when. And finally, I'm like, give me a ballpark number. I know you work in numbers. Give me a ballpark. And she blurts out eight years. And I couldn't believe that. Holy fuck. Not, don't get me wrong. <laughs> we were all happy about the separation. And I don't blame her. But on the other hand, I thought, don't you innately want sex at any time in those eight years with another human being? And the more that I started uncovering this, the more I realized how common this is. Wow. And eight's just one of the numbers. I've heard larger ones. I've heard shorter ones. And then there's people that end up in this rut. They don't even know how to have sex with each other again because now it's weird because they haven't done it for so long. Oh, my gosh. Then it ripples out to the other effects of then you have infidelities and traumas mm -hmm. around infidelities and 
children that are trauma traumatized yeah. about this and all the things that go on with this. It's such a deeper thing than just the sex, because yeah. again, you don't know anyone's complete story, but the deeper piece that came out and pandemic put a laser spotlight on was how disconnected people are and not mm-hmm. just from each other in couplehood, yeah. but even from them, their themselves. And mm-hmm. so there's a connection problem, there's a communication problem. And then this all boils up into greater issues that unless you're able to have open, honest and vulnerable conversations with your partner, and most people aren't, this is the challenge. You're not fixing this stuff and you're ending up another divorce statistic. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you, you came from kind of all of that and yet you were able to transform and grow and evolve. And now you've decided to use that in order to help and liberate other people, like help and liberate other women. That's like, that's the best type of work. And I think that it doesn't really get any, but see, like, I think about this too, where would you be right now if you hadn't done that work? Like, where would you be if you hadn't said yes to you? Where would you be if you back when you were even 20 in the therapist's office and she's telling you, well, maybe consider what, what, you know, what your part is in this. And you're like, well, yeah, but, and, and you didn't really dive into that. What do you think your life would look like at this point? That is a brilliant question. Obviously without the crystal ball, can't tell, but one of the thoughts I have often had because again of societal pressures and I was a rebel is I've often thought, what would my life still look like had I stayed married? Hmm. And no parts of it goes to joy. No parts of it do I hear rom-com music in the background, (laughs) children playing in the yard. I'm like, Imagine had I not had the courage to do that, how would I internally feel? How depressed would I be? Mm-hmm. What experience would my children be having with myself, their their mother in that yeah. marriage? Not yeah. good. And yeah. this is what I see a lot of nowadays is like, I've had this discussion recently with someone that we were like, okay, how many marriages do you think out there, both parties are happy and fulfilled and they can have hard discussions and work through conflict safety and all the things. Now, my guess, and I feel it's generous is 5%. Mm-hmm. So, and let's just play with math. Yeah. So right now you're in the U S I'm in Canada. We share very similar statistics. There's a 56% divorce rate. Yeah. Another 15 to 20 of them stay for whatever reasons that aren't mm-hmm. satisfied. So let's say we're at 76%. And of the remaining 24, how many of them are truly satisfied with what's there and happy and want this and are happy that they're going to live this life together? And funny enough, I was listening to a podcast. There's a divorce lawyer right now. He's going viral, James Sexton, because he does um, really good talks on love and marriage from a divorce lawyer's perspective. But he's very introspective. He's not just speaking from legal place he's speaking from the heart and he gets asked this question he reflects on it and he's like I know one couple that I would say is defined as fully happy fully satisfied they've been together 25 years and they just glow in bliss when they're together and so I'm not as pessimistic as James but I don't work in divorce right (laughs) sure like let's also be realistic right right So, yeah. So this is the place, like, how do you change that? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that it's, it, it is really hard because a lot of times, and not to say there isn't benefit to it. A lot of times though, the focus is so much on the, the partnership instead of the individuals relearning themselves, the individuals rediscovering who they are, being authentic to them, true to them, loving themselves, honoring themselves, and then being able to express from a place of not only authenticity, but also complete honesty and vulnerability and feeling safe to do that. Exactly. Yeah. And I recently had a very hard discussion with someone and my, my concluding message was, I would love to have you in my life. Do I think it would add to my life? Yes. But I'm also very happy on my own. And so if we can operate from that place of authenticity, honesty, Mm -hmm. vulnerability, and commitment, 100%, then let's try it from there. But without that, it's not worth the mediocrity of problems that come up in relationship for never to be the richness. Yes. Oh my gosh. Never to be the richness. Mm. That's, that's something to sit with, right? It's something to sit with, with every relationship, really. It's like, is this, is this worth the time and energy? Is it adding to my life? Is there mutual reciprocity and benefit here? And so, so many times there are so many things we need to just say no to, but because it feels so familiar and it feels so comfortable, we're saying no to us instead. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest learnings, and this was from my last long-term relationship, because I carried this for a long time and then realized this person is just wired not to be this way mm-hmm. is I'm also not responsible for somebody else's happiness mm-hmm. and nor are they for mine. Yep. And that one took me a lot of lessons and hard times to finally conclude. But yeah. now I realize you're happy with who and what you are and on your own. Yeah. And you will do things in your own life to be happy or not, I will never be the one that changes the needle on your happiness. I'm not doubting that the initial elation of romantic love won't give you some brain chemicals that'll feel amazing. But when those wear off, if that person is not happy to begin with, a long-term relationship is not adding to it. No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, a lot of times it's just enabling the problem to stay, right? It's (laughs) like a crutch. Yeah. So I love what, I love all that you shared recently, just the idea that you're still seeing stuff. You're still learning. Like even what you just talked about the relationship that you, the hard conversation you just had, it was like, okay. And you're still learning to choose you. You're still like continuing to evolve. You just said it took a really long time to learn like happiness basically is an inside job. Right. And not only is it an inside job for you, but it's an inside job for whoever you're with, whoever would think that you're responsible for their happiness. So do you feel like as you continue, cause you are, it's obvious you have a strong growth mindset and you're continuing to commit to being your authentic self, expressing your authentic self. What would you say at this moment in life, you feel like you're being called to step more into, or trust yourself more in, or bet on yourself more in, or have your own back in? Is there a certain area, whether it's love life, whether it's business, or maybe a certain theme that you're seeing that, that you're kind of feeling that internal pull? I think a large part of it is um, sharing a lot of my internal story. And it's not until I end up in deep discussions with people, like intimate deep discussions with girlfriends or people I meet and we click, that I realize, A, how much I've lived and B, how much I've learned. Mm. And 
putting those two together to share. And there's not a time that I haven't ended up in one of these discussions where that person hasn't learned something or had an epiphany, or there's even a power to someone not feeling alone in that journey that they're starting to get those whispers, (laughs) especially shouldn't I feel happier? And what we, what we chase for happiness. And it's funny because I always laugh with when I think back to like what my 20 year old self was attracted to versus now, especially traditionally women love successful men Mm -hmm. and men know that their success brings women. This is just a societal fact. And now the way I filter some of these successful men, I see them as they're trying to fill a hole. There's either mm-hmm. worthiness stuff there, self-love problems, yeah. or something that they haven't been able to fill through yeah. internal love or life satisfaction outside of money and assets. Yeah. And the one I ended up in a quite deep discussion about was someone commented on Rupert Murdoch. And they're like, you'd think at 92, he would just retire. <laughs> There's a photo of him on on a beach and you can see his yacht in the background and I'm like no it's because you don't understand Rupert Murdoch has stuff in him he doesn't want to feel and if Mm -hmm. he retired he -hmm. would have to feel those things so he'll keep working Mm -hmm. and acquiring more money and more assets and now they're navigating a lawsuit I'm not sure where it's at yeah but yes and he Mm -hmm. just broke up with his 30 some year old fiance Oh my God. <laughs> that he left Jerry Hall for. Like, there's a point where nothing is filling that hole. No. And, and so- it becomes so obvious that the hole is trying to be filled. Right. It's just a magnifying glass to all of the other things. Right. So it's like, it's extreme, but it shows you like there's, there's little pieces of this in all of us. And you had said he's just trying to cover up what he doesn't want to feel. And mm-hmm. if that isn't the, epitome of the reason that we won't go inward and take the time to know ourselves, see ourselves, be with ourselves, and then start moving toward living it out. It's because we're afraid of the feeling, just like everything we want, we want for the feeling of it, like the good things, everything that we're avoiding, we're avoiding because of the feeling of it. That's, that's the reality of it. So it's just, it's wild because we can only grow we can only continue to grow to the degree we're willing to look at ourselves with complete honesty and full mm-hmm. acceptance and say, yep, even with all that, I'm going to, I'm going to love me. Even with all that, I'm going to honor me. So and this is where I know that even in our discussion today, yeah, we'll talk about doing this inner work and stuff. And I'm always fully honest and transparent with people. I'm like, none of this was easy. This was some of the most painful work I have ever done. Yeah. But the payoff is what was there. It, yeah. it, it's the gold medal of the Olympics. And it's, but you still have to stay in shape and keep doing the work. Yes. And, and it's funny because an example I often use and I'll share with people is I had a psychologist that I was, I was grieving and she wanted me, we were in a Zoom session because she didn't have it in person. It was during pandemic. And she, I started crying and I suppressed tears. I did this my whole life. And for me, there's internal messaging. If I cry, I'm weak. I'm not crying for that person. <laughs> they don't get yeah, my tears. Right. And I don't want to be judged. And so we all have something in our heads about crying. Typically, I, I, I admire people that can cry freely because I had to get trained into it. 
And she asked me just to stop. She's like, we're stopping this session and you're going to cry. And I, thankfully I was at home alone in my kitchen table. And she's like, I just need you to release everything. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. But I totally didn't trust her. <laughs> so she, she could see that. And she's like, I see you don't trust me. I'm going to send you an article about crying. And I'm like, okay, well, if there's scientific evidence that was studied about crying, maybe this is true. So she sends me the article. First thing I do is look at which university did the study. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it wasn't a good one. I wasn't trusting it. Then I read through the article and it just talked about like, you have to release these toxins and otherwise they stay trapped in your body. And this is part of why we don't process emotion. And so between training how to learn how to cry and trusting the article and what she was sharing with me, I learned how to cry. And now when I feel that coming, I just let it come. Yeah. And is it painful at the time? Yes, it is. There's obviously big emotions coming out of me when I need to flow tears. But now what I've noticed is I feel the good stuff 10x better than when I was closing down my tears. Wow. So if I'm in nature or I'm in awe or uh, uh, 10 days ago, I witnessed a double rainbow. There's stuff now that comes up that I'm like, this must be what oh. LSD feels like <laughs> because it feels so good. But I know if I hadn't gone through the pain of releasing the bad emotion, yeah. the good can't grow. Mm, wow. That is incredible. And it is really wild to think about how much garbage inside of us that we don't allow ourselves to feel blocks mm -hmm. us feeling the opposite emotion that we actually want to feel. Yes. Yeah. That's wild. I love your stories and your journey. It's and just even where you came from, knowing what you're doing now and how you're helping women liberate their sexuality, coming from Catholic school, farm girl, like that's such a different extreme. And not only that extreme, what you had to do to get there, but then even all of the intricacies of like, okay, I'm going to keep choosing me. I'm going to keep loving me. I'm going to keep learning how to grow and evolve and care less about people's feelings so that I can care more about me and taking care of me. And yet your impact just becomes bigger as you do that. The way you love people becomes even better. It becomes an overflow of who you really are versus trying to get it from the outside external world. It's just, this is the stuff that really makes a difference. This is the stuff that really, really, really matters. So if you had to leave our listeners today with one tip, one thought, one word of advice, one, one thing you think that would be the most impactful them, if, if they could only walk away with one thing you said, what would it be? Okay. I don't know if I said it directly, but this has been my biggest recent teaching that I've had to learn and feel and live out is about choosing love and not just for yourself. And even when there's something really, really hard, or I've had some hard discussions lately, keeping your heart open. And I've tested it. And an old version of me would have walked back into the next meeting with that person looking like, Cruella DeVille with a bitchy look and that energy protecting myself so they can't get in or know they hurt me. And instead I walk in and I'll purposely like leave my heart open and imagine mm. my heart's open and try and emit love. And I can feel the energy change in that other person. Yes. And this is the piece. It's not easy to get here. It's a constant practice, but my interactions with people and then how I know they leave is... Yeah so much more fulfilling in life than yeah. closing off, shutting down mm. and staying closed. 
That's huge. That's so huge because it changes not just the energy of the situation, it changes them and it changes you all at the same time. I had, this made me immediately think of this concept and I don't, I didn't come up with it. I don't remember where I learned it from, but basically when you're dealing with a situation where there's conflict and there's somebody frustrating, I did this with my kids when they had either a bully or someone who was just being rude and kind of nasty to them. I said, do it as an experiment, right? So I'm not trying to tell you do this and it will work. Like just pretend it's an experiment. I want you to imagine a light beam coming from your heart to theirs. And I want you as, as authentically and truthfully as you can to say just internally or out loud, I forgive you. I bless you. I send you love. And my kids saw the transformation in the relationship with people they had issues with within, within days, within just a couple of days, things shifted that were going on bad for weeks. Like I have seen it and then they're feeling better. They have less anxiety. It's, it's so simple. And yet, as you said, can be so challenging when you're feeling justified to feel differently, but yet what do we want to really feel? What type of energy do we want to be around? And what type of way do we want to treat our body? Because stress and resentment and hate, like that shit's only going to make us sick. Mm -hmm. So why not take our power back and start operating like the beam of light we actually are? Yeah, this is so true. And the other one that even you mentioned is about forgiveness. Mm. and that's probably they're so intertwined yeah that yes yeah and it's all for us anyway right if it, it is if, it, if it's good for them awesome but it's to release us from the prison we put ourselves in exactly yeah. i've loved chatting with you colette so tell people if they want to check up on you have an online store too we do. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So I'm going to put Brock it in the, the notes. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, but share the, sure. the website.ca or Frenchpostcard.ca. And French if anybody postcard. wants to reach, <laughs> that's right. And if anybody wants to reach out, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm always happy to connect. Thank you so much you. for all that you shared, for your vulnerability, for your stories, and just for the impact you're making and choosing to make on a daily basis. It's very inspiring. Thanks, Becca. Hey, thanks for joining me and being here each week. My hope is every time you listen, you walk away feeling more activated and empowered to live a life that is fully yours. If you like this podcast, share it on social or with a friend. It could literally be the exact thing someone needs to hear today. All right, I'll see you back here next week. And until then, remember to enjoy the privilege of getting to know and authentically express who you came here to be.